think it's so nice outside, I almost didn't want to come into the building. I wanted to have church just outside. But we're going to have to be, yeah, amen. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to be content with being indoors because, uh, well, the God that we serve is in here and out there. And, and I'm so happy to be here. So if it's your first or second time here, I want to extend to you a particularly special welcome. If you look in the pew back, you'll see a card that looks like this. It's a Connect card. I would love for you to fill that card out. Uh, the reason why is we want to get to know you. We want to connect with you. Uh, so if you will put your name and some information on that and then drop it in the offering plate as it comes by later on in the service, we just want to connect with you. And also, this card serves double duty. On the other side, if you have a prayer request, you can fill that out, and we will pray for those prayer requests throughout the week. We have elders that pray, just as uh, Peter was mentioning We've got people that will pray for you, and we want to. And I am so uh, thrilled when I get these in each week because I have time to pray for people, reach out to them. I want to get to know you. So fill this out, please. Drop it in the offering basket later on as it comes by. Um, Well, we are beginning a new series, and Sal and I uh, almost had arm wrestle over who got to introduce our guest today. but it, uh, I, you know, it's such a privilege to have um, a special uh, friend of mine, uh, a, a person I've come to admire and respect, be with us here today. But before I steal the thunder, I want to ask Sal to come up and introduce today's speaker. That's uh, uh, Jack Crabtree. Thanks, Pastor. By the way, he won the arm wrestle. So. <laughs> Uh, It is truly a privilege to be here today. I just want to say that we come together as Christians to honor our mighty God who has no rival and who has no equal. And we are here to worship and praise him single-mindedly. But God has decided to use men and women to accomplish his purpose and his will. And uh, this man, Jack Crabtree, is one of those people. I had the honor of being at the uh, National Convention of Youth for Christ in the last four days, Jack was the executive director on Long Island for 30, 40 years. And today, people are still asking, how's Jack? You know, 800 people gathered in Indianapolis to plan and to pray about reaching 11 to 19-year-olds, and they're still asking about Jack. Jack's accomplishments on Long Island are numerous. He's going to get mad at what what I'm saying. Yeah, he's going to arm wrestle me and win also. I had the privilege of knowing Jack for years, but about 10 years ago, really got to know him and see him in action as I went on the board of Long Island Youth for Christ. Jack was transitioning. He said to me, he goes, listen, I'm getting old. He says, I'm, I'm going to start geezers for Christ because I'm, you know, I'm trying to reach 11 to 19-year-olds and look at me. So with Jack's numerous accomplishments and awards and recognition and God bringing fruit from his ministry, he's the most humble unassuming, unpretentious servant that, God, that I've met. And if, you're, if there was a who's who of Christians on Long Island, Jack would have to be at the top of the list. And I was so excited to, when I saw the email that Jack was preaching, I just texted my whole group, Craig, Patrice, Clay, Stephen, like, Jack's at Limbrook. And they're like, hey, hallelujah, you know, because this man is, is so well-known. So I'm, I'm not going to lather it on anymore, Jack. It's a privilege to have you here. Hey, Sal, Sal and the Board of Youth for Christ gave me a big uh, pin as an award for the most humble man on Long Island. But then they had to take it away from me because I wore it everywhere, okay? So. <laughs> Listen, thank you. It's nice to be here. I w- I've been here in years past, and it's nice to be back and to be part of uh, what's going on here and uh, to be able to share this time with, uh, with all of you. Listen, uh, how, how does God get your attention? I mean, well, what does he do when he really wants to kind of let you know what's going on? To, to what lengths will he, uh, you know, kind of shake your life up? How many of you have been in the hospital? Yeah. God gets our attention there. We're laying in that bed. Uh, sometimes we're awake all night. And uh, God certainly uh, has things that he wants to say to us, and he gets our attention that way. Some of, some of you, how many of you have had a financial downturn? And when you're looking at your checkbook, and there isn't enough in the checkbook to pay the stack of bills that's sitting on, on your table, 
God sometimes gets our, he gets our attention through all these things. Sometimes we have relational problems. Sometimes we're, we're struggling in all kinds of things. But God uses these things to get our attention. So, uh, well, I was thinking, what, what would God do if he really wanted to, to deliver a message to us? And I thought, you know, he might take us to court. He might, he might get our attention, send us a summons and say, uh, listen, uh, we've got to work things out here. You know, things are not right between us, and I'm going to pull them together. I've got some neighbors who are retired. When I go over and sit in their living room in the afternoon, they're always watching Judge Judy, okay? <laughs> and they said, this is the way to get things solved, Jack. You know, you have a problem. You know, don't go, don't go hiring lawyers that are going to take most of the money. Just go to see Judge Judy. And you go to Judge Judy, and you can make your case, and the person who you're having trouble with, they can make their case, and then Judge Judy will decide. And I thought, well, that's interesting, isn't it? What, what if God brought us in to, uh, to see Judge Judy? What do, you think, what do you think he would say with all these things? And how, how, what, what would he say to you and me about what's going on in our life? What, would he like to, what changes would he like to see happening in all of us? Well, listen, that's what's happening in our Bible reading today. We're looking at the book of Micah. Micah is a small book. It's in the Old Testament. And uh, he, it's listed as what you would call a minor prophet. Now, Micah's not a minor prophet because he's unimportant. He's a minor prophet only because, well, it's a, it's a, it's a short book. Micah was lived from, his ministry was from 742 B.C. to 687 B.C. And he ministered there in Israel and in Judah and uh, the, the, prophets who, or the other prophets who were uh, active during that time, Isaiah and Hosea, and the, the kings that he worked with, King Ahaz and King Hezekiah. Now, I see some of you, your eyes are already glazing over, okay? <laughs> you're saying, oh boy, here we are. This guy came to get, give us a history lesson. Uh, we're, uh, you know, you're, get your phone out. Somebody must be wanting to get a hold of me here, you know? I, uh, listen, before you, put your phone away, okay? And before, before you kind of check out here, let me just say to you, I think God wants to speak to us today from Micah. The book is 2,500 years old. But I think what it talks about is very much the same things that you and I are going through. And I want to say to you today that I think God wants to speak to us about our lives and where we're going and what he's given to us and how he wants to use us in this world. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at what God wants to say to us in all these things. I mean, Micah's world was very much like our world. I'll give you three examples. Number one, there was international tension going on. Israel was caught between three big powers. Well, Assyria to the north, very strong nation, very strong empire, and Egypt to the south. And Assyria and Egypt, you know, they were having all kinds of problems back and forth with each other, and Israel was caught in the middle. And the Philistines were on the other side, and they were always causing trouble. Assyria had so intimidated Israel that Israel was actually paying them not to invade them. They said, look, you're going to come, just take our money, okay? Just, just take our gold, take all of our possessions, you know, just don't come and kill all of us. And so they were in this international tension, these superpowers going at each other. Sound familiar? The second thing that happened in the time of Micah is that there was tremendous corruption going on. Corruption not only in the leadership of the, of the country. I mean, everybody was on the take. Everybody was getting paid for what they did. But the corruption was even involved in God's temple. God's priests, his people. They were, they were taking bribes. And they, they would say, pay us enough money and uh, we'll pray a blessing over top of all of you. And they began to just, uh, you know, kind of sell out all of their religious calling to just make themselves comfortable. And then the third thing is that in addition to the corruption, that there was moral chaos. Now, moral chaos is the outcome of corruption, Right? I mean, when you get to the point where you realize that the people who are in charge of the government, that they're on the take and they're doing only what's best for them, that they're making the rules up for, for themselves. And when you see that the church leaders are basically, well, they're just changing everything around to kind of fit out what would benefit them the most, then you have no motivation to do what's right. If everybody else is just doing what they think is right in their own eyes, I'll do it too. And so when the leaders can't be trusted, well... 
People are just, uh, you know, they're going their own way, doing their own thing. Now, does this sound familiar? Is this the direction that our country and that our world is going? I mean, the message of Micah comes and speaks to us. God used Micah to kind of step in to give a very clear, very short, very, very, uh, you know, powerful message. And he basically condemned and brought judgment against people. Not, not just the king and his court, but against the religious leaders as well. And said, look, here's what you're doing. So in, chapter, in several chapters in the, in these, in the book of Micah, he, he puts these court, this courtroom scene into, into a play. And here in chapter 6 that we're going to look at today, where the heading says, The Lord's Case Against Israel. So are you ready? Judge Judy's in the house? All right. She's going she's gonna to let the Lord speak first, and here's what he's going to say. He says, listen, listen to what the Lord says. Stand up and plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. I mean, God's basically saying, look, I put all this together, right? I put all these mountains in place. They're a witness to me already. And uh, I'm just going to let them listen to what I have to say. For the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. Look at this. My people, what have I done to you? I mean, how, how have I hardened you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I mean, he's talk, basically he's saying, you know, we used to be close. And now there's this big gap between us. And what's going on? And God's saying, have I done something to kind of drive you away from me? I mean, sometimes I think it, I look at our society these days and I see people drifting away, sometimes even church people, but many people not even considering God. And I wonder what God would come down and say to us, have you forgotten what I've done? Have you forgotten what, what my connection with all of you? And then, and then God speaks. And what does he say? I, I was the one who brought you up out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and also Aaron and Miriam. I mean, this is one of the great stories of all history. That 600,000 Jews who were slaves in Egypt got up and left their whole workforce because one man who God called Moses had gone in there and had demonstrated the power of God and he kept saying to them, let my people go. And they raised up these people and they marched out. I mean, that's a miracle in itself. And there when they faced the Red Sea and the Egyptians had changed their mind and said, no, no, we want you back. And as they charged at them, God opened up the Red Sea and they walked across. And when the Egyptians came, God closed the Red Sea. I mean, is there any story better than that? I mean, if you haven't, if you haven't seen the Ten Commandments on, a, on that old movie, you need to just watch. I mean, even Cecil B. DeMille figured it out, you know, and kind of told the story and watched the, watched the water open up and watched the water close down. This is God who did this. In fact, as you read through the scriptures, God keeps reminding his people. As you read the Psalms, he keeps saying, I'm the God who did this. I'm the God who brought you through. I'm the God that you could put your trust in. God says, uh, what, what happened? And then he goes on and he, and he, says, uh, he says, listen, my people remember what Balak, king of Moab, applauded and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered. Do you know this story? Not as famous. Numbers 22. Uh, Balak, the king of Moab, said, uh, listen, we'd like to take over um, Israel. We'd like to conquer them. We know they've got this uh, God on their side, and we're a little bit afraid of them. But we know, Balaam, you're, you're a prophet for this God. How about if we just put a nice gift in your hands? Gave you a few extra things, kind of made your life a little more comfortable. Maybe could you just uh, maybe pray a, a curse onto Israel and that uh, somehow you could curse them in some way that, uh, you know, maybe we get the advantage? And Balaam said, no way. I would never betray my people and I would never betray God. And then he went home and thought about all those gifts that they promised him. And, you know, sometimes you get those thoughts in your head about how much money and how much luxury 
and somebody's just offering this to you, and, and he's saying, well, maybe it's not such a big deal. Maybe, maybe a, little, a little prayer, a little curse. I mean, come on. I, I mean, uh, and, you know, he starts wondering about this. The next thing you know, he's headed back to have a meeting with Balak to maybe talk this over just a little bit, right? And God's saying, do you know what I did? When, when Balak was plotting to take over and Balaam was getting ready to give in, I turned that donkey that Balaam was taking to the trip. Some versions, they say it was an ass, right? He says, I turned that ass of that donkey around and I let the donkey do the talking. And I spoke through the donkey and I said to Balaam, what are you doing? Some people have always encouraged me and they said, well, Jack, listen, you've you got to feel good about this. If God can use a donkey to speak to people, then I, you, may, you might have a future and to be a pastor, you know? And I think they're right, all right? But you know what, you know what, God's, what God's saying is that I've seen the people who've been against you. I've, I've seen the plots. You didn't even realize what was going on. And I intervened to make sure that you were not going to be destroyed. And then finally he says, listen, remember your journey from Shittim to, to Gilgal, Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. That was when they moved across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And again, God opened up the water. And, and they saw a miracle right in front of them. And they walked across. And then he said, you know, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down? Well, you know, he, the, basically the Lord is basically saying, listen, um, I, don't you realize that I've done all these things for you? So then it's time for the people to speak. And so what, what do the people say? Well, look at this. He says uh, in, verse, in verse 6, he says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? I guess, I guess God, you're right. You, know, you, you have been good to us, and we haven't really paid attention. So how about uh, we'll come, we'll bring to you a burnt offering with calves that are just a year old. Will that be wonderful? <laughs> Wrong answer. And they, they come back and say, well, oh, that's, I, I guess you, we didn't really give you enough. Listen, will the Lord be pleased if we bring you thousands of rams? And maybe we'll give you a thousand rivers of olive oil. Will that make you happy? <laughs> Wrong answer. And then he goes even farther and he says, listen, well, what, 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 what if we offer our firstborn for my transgressions? Now, now, this is getting a little close to home. I'm firstborn. How many other people are firstborn in your family? Your parents were willing to give you up to kind of get to, to win God's uh, approval and all this, right? He said, how about if we offer our firstborn for our transgressions? Then the, the fruit of our body, then you'll really be pleased with us, right? <laughs> Wrong answer, okay? You know, sometimes we think with this whole religion, church thing, that somehow we're, we can just negotiate our way with God. We hear what he wants us to do, we know that we don't come through and do what he wants us to do. And then we say, well, we can talk this out, right? So God, uh, you'd you like us to do religious things. Maybe we'll come to services. Or maybe we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do some volunteer work. Or maybe we'll put money in the offering. You know, the, if we, God, just show us how much we have to do, you know, uh, so that we can kind of win your approval. Anybody here ever been guilty of thinking like that? I have. I'm always sometimes trying to negotiate with God. But God says, listen, I don't want you to just check the boxes and bring gifts to me. I want something much deeper. And this brings us to our verse for today. And look what it says. He has shown you, O mortal, mortals I went to talk about all of us, all you living people, he's shown us what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Why don't you read it with me? to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what really God has called us to do. And here's Micah, and he's coming and basically saying to people, this is what God wants. This is what God requires. You're thinking, I've got to just you know, show up and give a little and do a little volunteer work. No, no. God wants to change our hearts and to make us 
like him. Let's, stand, let's all stand for a moment, okay? Remember, we're in court with God, right? And he's got our attention. And what is it that he wants us to do? Let's say it together, okay? And what does the Lord require of you? Justly. To love mercy. To walk humbly with your God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, we hear your words today. We hear your voice. Forgive us for the times that we've forgotten how good you've been to us. Forgive us for the times when we haven't noticed how you've blessed us and how you've poured it out to us. And forgive us for the times when we have often just tried to buy you off with a little bit of a, a gift or a little bit of, a, uh, of time when really you want us to know you and to reflect you, to, to be so, uh, you know, so willing to let you just live in our lives, that you would flow out of us. Lord, we hear your word this morning. We ask that we might take it now and really apply it in our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I know a lot of you were thinking, gee, I was hoping that was the closing prayer, right? <laughs> that would have been great, you know? I don't Listen, let's see if we can just apply some of these things, okay? What God wants to teach us this morning. Now, what is it that you really love? I mean, you have things that you really love, right? Well, what do you love? Uh, do, do you love traveling? Do you love uh, your family? Do you love comfort? Oh, yes, we do love comfort, right? How do I, we love the approval of other people? Other people like us? What does the Lord say? What does he want us to love? He says, I want you to love mercy. I want you to love mercy. I want you to realize that what, how wonderful mercy is when it's given to you, and then I want you to, to love mercy as it's given to others. I want you to be part of giving it, and I want you to, when you see people receiving mercy, that you'll just say, I love that. I love the way that mercy's been poured out to that person. Well, what is mercy, you know? Mercy is compassion. It's forgiveness. It's, uh, it's when we show uh, forgiveness and compassion to someone that we have power over. You know, we're, we're better than they are, we're smarter than they are, we're stronger than they are, we're, uh, you know, been given a position above them, and, and we have the ability that we could hurt them, we could punish them, we could make their life difficult and uncomfortable, but what have we done? We've decided to show them compassion. We've decided to show them forgiveness and to help them in that way, even when they're undeserving, and that's really the kicker with all this. Mercy goes to people who don't really deserve it. I mean, that's, mercy is generous. It's kindness. It's forgiving. It's patient. I mean, if you, if you look at what mercy is, it's really kind of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. It's patient and kind, never selfish or haughty or rude. You know, it, it wants the best. Mercy is, uh, it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Mercy is God's DNA. And so if you, know, you, want, to, you want to investigate the crime scene and kind of see what's, who, what's, who's really behind all this, when you see mercy, you know, you know it's come from God. And you know that God's really the result of all these things. Look at, look at Psalm 103. I mean, you could almost open your Bible any place. And just pull it out and kind of say, you know, what's God like? Psalm 103 says, says these things. Listen, I bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all of our iniquities, who heals all of our diseases, who redeems our life from destruction, who crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies, Right? And look at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. But listen, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. And verse 11 says, listen, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy 
towards those who fear him. Have you experienced God's mercy in your life? Have you experienced that he's been slow to anger? You know, quick to listen? That he's been rich in mercy to you? That he hasn't dealt with you according to your sins or your iniquities, but that he's poured out his kindness to you? You know, God's story from start to finish, from this book, from, from, from the beginning to the end, is all about his mercy and his grace. And he gives it to people like you and me, even people who are undeserving, like you and me. And God pours this out to us. God, you know, grace is, is, is getting what we don't deserve. You know, this morning we want to be saying, this is, is his amazing grace. This is his ending love, Right? That, he would take, that God would give us what we don't deserve. But mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And when we stop and really look at some of the trouble that we put ourselves into, and some of the things that we've done and the things that we've said, we deserve to be punished. But God gives us his mercy and says, listen, I'm, I'm going to forgive you for these things. You know, this is, unlike, this is totally unlike any other man-made religion. All these other religions are all about what we can do to somehow, re, uh, you know, impress God. Somehow, though, what we can do to do enough offerings and do enough attendance and do enough to, of these uh, specific things that God gives us a list. So as much as we can do these things, but then we'll earn God's forgiveness. Then we'll earn his favor. Then God will really embrace us. And the Christian faith is a total reversal of this. It turns everything upside down and says, listen, we don't earn God's favor. We don't, we don't earn it by what we pay back to God. Listen, God gives it to us and gives it to us for free. Gives it to us because he loves us. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, for all of you who have put your faith in Christ, this really is your story, isn't it? Listen, as for you... You were dead in your transgressions and your sins, and in which, in which you used to, uh, to live as you followed the ways of this world. Anybody say, that was me, right? That was us, right? But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Now say this with me, okay? It is by grace you have been saved. You see, God pours out his love to us, and he, and he gives us his grace, and he saves us, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is. Look at Psalm 130. We've been reading these psalms at, over at Shelter Rock Church during the summer. Maybe you've been reading them as well. Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Now, Pastor Nathan He's about 10 times smarter than I am, okay? He knows Hebrew and Greek and all these things. I only know one Hebrew word, and that's the one that's on the screen here. It's called hesed, and it's God's unfailing love. It's this love that just can't be contained. It's this love that just can be given to us and can, continues to redeem us and fill us and, 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 and help us in all these things. And whenever they talk about this, they, they talk about this hesed love. This love that's like no other love that you ever have been a part of. That this, this love that God has for us. And Jesus ultimately is God's, he, he's hesed love in a human body. His coming to earth made such an impact on all of us because nobody had ever seen anybody love the way that he loved. And that hesed love took him all the way to the cross. And he allowed himself, his body to be destroyed so that he could give us the love that God wanted us to have. And so God shows us all these things. So when we realize how much God has given us, I mean, stop and think about it, Lindbrook Baptist, okay? We're the richest people on earth. We are. We have, every, we, we have what everybody's looking for. Everyone's looking for peace. Everyone's looking for forgiveness. Everyone's looking for security. Everyone's looking for, to know what their future's going to be. Everyone's looking to be loved unconditionally. And God has given it to us. He's given us complete forgiveness and his unconditional love. Do you feel wealthy today? I mean, you, God has poured out the wealth of heaven in your life. 
and all these other things that we spend our time chasing after, the things that will eventually destroy, be destroyed, eventually disappear, things that we can't really carry on into our, our life beyond death, God gives us what we need, not only here, but he pr- provides us this love that we'll have with him forever. My goodness. So what is it that God wants from us? Well, he wants us to show mercy. He wants us to love mercy. And as one pastor said, if you get it, then you better give it. So he wants us to understand how much mercy he's given to us so that we can know how much we have to give to other people. And we can begin to pour that out in that way. You see, God wants us to make mercy, really, uh, he, he wants us to make mercy a regular part of our life, a daily part of our life. We want, he, he wants mercy to kind of be running through our, our brains and right through everything that we do in the way we speak and the way that we reach out to other people, that we're constantly saying, where's mercy in all this? Or where does mercy need, need, need to be applied? And let's, let's make mercy be part of it. Let's, let's love mercy so much that it's always on our mind and that we're figuring out how God can use all these things. Mercy is a different way of looking at life. It's a different way of handling and responding to what's happening with that. Steve Sizer, who's a, a Church of England rector, tells the story about during the civil war in the nation of Lebanon. Lebanon's in the Middle East, between Israel and Syria, and has had a very Christian background and a very Christian, strong Christian community in the middle of the civil war. Uh, those uh, anti-Christian people were kind of coming against them, and they had a young man who was in the ministry. They captured him. They were taking him out to execute him. And as they were walking him off the road and down the path, down to the bottom where they were going to shoot him, his, his, his uh, captor had AK-47 right to the, his back, walking him all the way down. And what he didn't realize, he was kind of casual, thinking, well, this guy's a pastor. You know, he can't be that, but can't be that dangerous. But this pastor had had some military training. So the pastor kind of caught him unaware and disarmed the man. And suddenly now the pastor had the AK-47. And now they were walking in the same direction. And the pastor's got the AK-47. And the, uh, and the, the, uh, the terrorist, the, the, uh, the rebel, the anti, you know, uh, anti-Christian you know, t- soldier there, now he's got the gun to his back. He said, the pastor said at that point, God began to speak to me, and he began to say, um, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, do not repay evil for evil. He said, Lord, why of all times would you remind me of these verses, right? You know, why couldn't it be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? And and he said, so he he just takes and he throws the AK-47 into the bushes. And uh, they continue walking, and then the the terrorist realizes the pastor's not armed anymore. So he turns around. The pastor said, oh, no, now I'm in trouble. Like, what, what do I do next? And he starts running back up the hill, and the terrorist is chasing him. He says, oh, no, now I'm going to get it. He's gonna get, he's, I'm sure he's going to get the AK-47 and use it on me. He said, but when he grabbed a hold of him, he said the terrorist turned him around and embraced him. And with tears in his eyes said, thank you for saving my life. See, mercy is that unexpected response to, to evil or to, to the pressure that comes to us. It's a way of looking at life differently and kind of saying, you know, I, I, can, I can be free to, uh, to embrace even my enemies with all these things. Now, how do we apply mercy in our life? I mean, how many of you have been chased by a terrorist this week? Okay, Maybe in your dreams, right? Well, listen, we, there are people all around us who need mercy. Remember last summer when we lost our power? And I don't know, we were out like four or five days up in Huntington where I live. And um, the first day we kind of did okay, and then I was worried about what was going to happen. I looked over at my neighbor. We have a very interesting block. We got a lot of people, a lot of rental properties and people of all different backgrounds living there. And I looked over next to the house uh, next door to us, the kids over there, teenagers, had built a fire, and they were, had built some kind of thing. They looked like they were going to cook their food on this fire, and the fire was so close to the house, I was like, what are they doing? 
Well, I'm out the door and I'm halfway over to their house and I'm thinking, these stupid kids, what are they? They're going to set this house on fire and we're going to have all these problems. And what are these kids thinking? And halfway there, it's like the Lord just kind of whacks me in the side of the head and goes, Jack, they're hungry. They have no power. They started this fire because they want to cook some food, probably that's going to spoil in their refrigerator that has no electricity. And I'm going, oh, uh, well, what can I do? And it's at that point, God kind of said to me, Jack, I think there is a a gas grill on the side of your house that I blessed you with. It's sitting under there underneath the cover. It's just sitting there. Don't you think that that gas grill could cook some food? You know, so here I am almost ready to attack these kids. And, you know, 10 yards before I get there, the Lord kind of wakes me up and goes, show some mercy, all right? And I get there, and instead of saying the things that I was going to say, I said, hey, you guys hungry? i got a gas grill. How about I bring the grill over, and we cook the food on that? Boy, you know, sometimes God just wakes us up and realizes there are places around us where we can, where we can give mercy to other people. You know, it was difficult that day. The young kids uh, speak better English than, than their mother did. But I learned later in that day as we were cooking the, the, uh, the rice and cooking the beans and, and we were, you know, t- taking care of all this, her husband had died several months ago of COVID, left her with these uh, twins who are young teenagers, and that they're having a very, very hard time. It's kind of opened a door, you know, in our life to see and be a part of that. And I've, you know, that later that day, I had a power pack, and I brought it over, and we plugged in all of our, our phones and began to pull things out together. And, you know, today, a, a year later, we're spending time together. We're connecting. The kids were in my above-ground swimming pool two days ago. You know, it's our way of kind of saying, listen, whatever God's given to us, let's just share it. And you know what? God's given you different gifts. He's put things in your hands. And he says, just give mercy to people. Just share and let's see, be part of all these things. So let's take a moment, just before we're done here. I'm sorry if I'm talking too long. But listen, what are some signs that you're merciful? Okay? I mean, how, would we, how would you know if you're really a merciful person? Here, I'll give you four signs today. See if, see if these, uh, use these to kind of say, God, are you working in my life? Number one, a merciful person expects the best from other people. It expects good from other people. You remember me walking across, I'm thinking, these stupid kids, right? You know, I'm, I'm already condemning them. I'm already to kind of jump on them for, you know, starting this fire. Listen, a merciful person expects good from other people. Not looking for the worst, not looking for, you know, what's wrong with other people. When you're merciful, you begin, you kind of have this sense of hope and trust as you look at people and you look at situations. And, and it kind of gives you wisdom with that. It's so easy, isn't it, to just look at people by either their age or their color or by you know, their attitude or the way they dress or where they're from, and you kind of say, oh, I know what they're like, and I don't like them, and I know I'm going to expect in trouble from those people, and we're usually wrong. God says, listen, open your eyes and see who's really there. Expect the best. Here's the second sign. The second sign is that when you're in a position of power, use your power to protect and help others, not to get something for yourself. You know, uh, what could I say? I'm the homeowner next to, these, to this rental property. I've got a, I'm kind of in a place of power. I'm older, you know, than, the, than these kids, and I'm a little bit smarter, and I got a little more authority, and, uh, you know, and I'm coming over to them. Do, am I going to go over and use my power to kind of condemn these kids and to, you know, to, you know attack them in some way? Or am I going to say, well, uh, God's given me some power. He's given me some possessions, including a gas grill. Am I going to use that to help other people? Or am I just going to keep it in my garage? And you think about, you know, God wants, to, wants you to understand, say, You've been in power. Now, some of you are employers. Some of you are supervisors. Some of you are parents. Some of you, you know, you're, you're, you've been put in situations. You have influence. 
in your family and with people around you, how are you using that influence? You know, a merciful person kind of says, I'm not using this to get what I want. I'm using the power that God's given me to, to protect and to help other people. There's a third, third way that we could find out with how merciful we are. It has to do with what we say. A merciful person holds back comments that would cause a person embarrassment or shame or discomfort. The most powerful weapon you have isn't an AK-47. It's that thing that's underneath your nose. You know, the most powerful weapon, you carry it around with you everywhere you go. Your tongue, your words, <laughs> what comes out of your mouth, it can do tremendous damage. And it, it can do tremendous good. And I think a merciful person, again, you know, learns to be able to say, I'm going to be careful what I say. I'm going to be careful how I say it. I'm going to be careful what I do. It's me, again, walking towards those kids, right? And I got some words ready to give them. And they're not going to be nice words. I'm going to let these kids know how stupid they are and how dangerous this is and blah, 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 and everything else. I'm going to try and shame them, embarrass them, you know, in, in such a way, Right? And God stops me and says, Hold your, close your mouth. You know, I try to understand what these kids are going through, what their situation is. Use your ears. You know, the two to one ratio, two ears, one mouth. I think God's trying to tell us something, right? Let's spend twice as much time listening as we are talking. Am I making sense? Does this, you understand? So God wants us to hold back the comments. The sad thing is that many times in our church, we're often too quick to gossip about other people. People make mistakes. People go through hard times. People have a past. They have a history. And sometimes we're, we're just so eager to kind of tell other people about the bad news that we've heard about other people. And God says, if you want to be a merciful church, we've got to learn to to swallow those words, to, 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 to hold them back, and to not use words that would shame other people or attack them or undercut them in that way. Let's use our words to build up people, you know, so, so that everybody will be edified, everybody, everybody will be encouraged by all this. And the fourth way, fourth way to know that you're merciful is that when, uh, when, when you need to confront someone, and really, often we do. You don't confront someone with a feeling like, I'm really going to enjoy this. I'm going to tell them off. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put them down. I'm just going to let them know that I'm in charge here and, and, and that their way's the wrong way. Well, guess what? There are times when people are doing things that are incorrect. There are doing sometimes when people are doing things that are going to cause damage. You know, the fire was very real and very dangerous at that house. Something needed to be done to get rid of that fire from there. But you know what? When a merciful person, when they give correction and warning, they do it gently. And they do it in a way to seek positive change. You probably worked for someone or you've been around somebody. They just love to tell you when you're wrong, right? They just love to tell you when you made a mistake. And sometimes even here in the church, we just... You know, we, we, we save up our, our energy, and when somebody makes a mistake, we love to point it out. And God says, no, be merciful and use your correction to, to, and your warning to kind of build them up and to let them know that there is a better way to do this, but do it gently in all that you do. Well, see, what, what, what uh, mercy looks like in, in this way is mercy basically says, listen, we need to be patient with other people. And they're quirks. Anybody know anybody who has quirks? Yeah. Anybody in your family? Yes. People who live on your block, people who you work with? Yeah, we've all got quirks, right? Merciful people are patient with people. We understand them. Merciful people help other people who are around them. They give people a second chance. And they, give, uh, they, they do good to people, even to people who hurt them. Now that's getting really close to home, right? I mean, I can be merciful to people I don't know, but boy, if they've hurt me, can I be merciful to them? God says, yes, be merciful, even when people hurt you, even when people offend you. Can you be merciful to people who've said something untrue about you or people who've said something that's been unkind to you? 
Can you be unmerciful to them? Can you be merciful to them? And merciful, well, it's building bridges to people who are unpopular, building bridges of love to them. You know, taking the church here. There are certain people in the church who are very popular. There are other people who are kind of loners and they're really not connected. And you kind of say, well, you know, I love to go be with the people who are popular. I love to be their friends. God says, listen, build, build your friendships in all directions. Build your friendships. Don't overlook the people who are unpopular, the people who are struggling, the people who are uh, very much separated. Spend some time with them and build some friendships with all of these people. You see, mercy is not limiting your kindness to just the friends and the people who can give you back something in return. And isn't that, you know, that's really at the heart of it. We're always thinking about ourselves. Thinking about what am I going to get out of all this? And God's saying, stop thinking that way. Look how much I've given you. Now you can begin to reflect me and show that you can look at people and say, I'm not here to get something from you. I'm here to stand with you. I'm here to support you. I'm here to, perhaps you're going to give something to me. And God uses these things and helps us in all this way. Now, who's our model in mercy? Well, you know who it is. Jesus himself. I mean, with the Hesed love, this, uh, this unfailing love that he brought to us, and the way that Jesus, all the stories that Jesus told, all the incidents, I mean, we could go on all through the afternoon and the evening talking about how Jesus showed mercy to people along the way. He touched the people who were untouchable, He had conversations with the people that other people shunned. He constantly kind of reached out to other people and brought them in. He crossed all the boundaries that we kind of, the human boundaries that we set up. And he says, listen, I want you to show that kind of love to others. And I want want you to be part of all this. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so I want you to love one another. God wants you to love mercy. In the same way that Jesus had mercy on you, well, God, God wants, he wants, he wants you to have mercy on others. I'm ready to close. I'm going to read one more thing. Yesterday, uh, Pastor John Yenchko from up in the North Shore Community Church in, in Oyster Bay put this on uh, Facebook, and he, uh, very appropriate. He said, uh, terror was the dominant tool Uh, by those in power to maintain power over other people. It's always been true in history. You can be bigger and stronger and more terrifying. If you can have people fear you, then you can control them. And he said, you know, on this day, you know, we're reminded that terror was used to try and, well, gain power and and to bring destruction on 9-11. He said, but there was a rabbi from Nazareth who came into the world with a new paradigm for power. He said, uh, this rabbi reversed the order of all things. This rabbi ultimately would lay down his life for his subjects. See, it's always been that the people in charge, they get other people to lay down their lives. They, 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 They destroy other people. But this rabbi turns everything upside down and says, no, I've come with all my power and with all my authority, I've come to lay down my life. This rabbi came to serve, not to be served. It said he came to lay down his life for the ransom of many. On 9-11, you know, we see that uh, this battle that's going on is between kingdom values versus really... uh, Self-serving values, pagan values, non-god, ungodly values. And you see, when we see the battle here, it's not just political. It's not just a national conflict. It's not just conflicting worldviews. When we follow Jesus, our standards, our values regarding freedom and the dignity of other people, it just is the opposite of the way the world sees things. When we look at Jesus and we see his model, we understand that all of us who are linked to Jesus and linked to his death and linked to his resurrection, that we understand that God's love is merciful, that God God loves to give us grace, and God wants us to share this with others. 
then if God is love, then we as his people, we're love, aren't we? God wants us to be merciful to them. If Jesus came to carry our burdens, then we can carry the burdens of others around us. If Jesus came to give us the truth that would set us free, then we can, then we can create a culture that's characterized by freedom and by truth. You know, where, where the law of Christ is recognized around the world, well, guess what? People prosper and people are lifted up. And where, where the law of Christ is ignored or rejected, well, I would say to you, people suffer. And people, people, especially women and children, are really brutalized and often damaged and hurt in so many ways. So let's let our light shine. We're called to be salt and light in this world. The salt of our life, the light of our life, is mercy. The verses that we are looking at today are what? What does God require? That we would act justly, that we would love, and that we would walk humbly with our God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your wonderful mercy and love to us. We thank you for your word. Thank you that you made your case here in Micah 6, and you told us, Flat out, I don't need you to just be good religious people. I want you to know me and to receive what I want to give to you so much that it just becomes part of our being, that that we're receiving the mercy of God in our life, that it just will flow out of us. It's going to come out of our pores. The more that we're filled with God's Holy Spirit, that he would just leak out of us into the, the lives of many people around us. God, we thank you. We thank you for your clear direction to us. And Father, we thank you for letting us live in a time like this, where people need to see justice, and and they need to, to experience mercy, and they need to see humility, to learn how that they can bow themselves before you. Lord, will you put us here in this time, and we would pray that you would use each one of us to... to uh, to, to be your salt and light in this world. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Show mercy to people. Uh, this Operation Christmas Child, we have a granddaughter, and uh, we've done this with her for 15 years. Every year that she's older, we add another box. So last year, we did 15 boxes. So I would say parents and grandparents, take your kids shopping. Let them be a part of... Uh, you know, building these boxes and give them a, a real um, experience of mercy. Right now, think of somebody in your family, somebody at your work, uh, who you need to show mercy to. Ask God for that strength to do that. And let's look at this verse as we go, as our benediction, as we put it up here for us, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, all Lindbrock Church, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? You say it with us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Go now in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in justice, go in mercy, go with humility. Go in Jesus' name, amen.